Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, May 6th. 2020. I'm Shannon, and I am here tonight with Nika, Stacy, and Kristen. And we wanted to chat with you about books that have been meaningful to us and meaningful in, in several different ways, which you will hear about as we go forward. This was actually Nika's episode idea. And so I thought that it would be a great thing to talk about tonight. So before we start, I, of course, want to give the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So meaningful books. I think for me... Like, I don't remember, obviously, every book that I read when I was a kid. I read a lot of books. And I don't know that there was a specific, like, watershed book for me that made me think, like, oh, I really like to read because of this. But I think one of the books that was most sort of influential to me as a kid was a book called Little by Little, A Writer's Education. And it was by Jean Little, who is, was a Canadian author who was visually impaired and wrote a lot about growing up as a child with a disability in a world that in a lot of ways just wasn't designed for her. Um, she grew up in the 30s in, um, originally I think in Taiwan, and then moved to Canada. and it just made me feel like maybe life as a person with a disability, like, you know, I wasn't the only person kind of going through that. And I really enjoyed kind of seeing that in, in a book when I was a kid and actually knowing that not only was this a book, but it was a book about a real person. And as an adult, I'm not a huge nonfiction reader, um, but memoirs are, are still things that I really enjoy. So, do we have anybody else with a, any meaningful childhood bookity? Well, it's interesting that you talk about, um, like, the book by Jean Little, who's an author with a disability. Um, and this isn't my meaningful book, per se, but I, I just, I relate to that because I read Light a Single Candle by Beverly oh, yes. Butler when I was, yes, when I was going into seventh grade. And I related with Kathy, the heroine, um, not the um, the vision loss part because I was already blind, but the fact that she had to do all these different things um, in order to gain independence and, and sort of self-confidence 
And I read that, I I felt like it was a very meaningful time for me to read that. So I understand like why the book you discussed was, you know, it kind of evoked a similar emotion, I think. I love Light a Single Candle. Oh, right. A gift of gold. Oh, yes. She was in college Um, and she got to have romance. Yes, she did. (laughs) (laughs) So when I think of of children's books, I um, think of like, <clears throat> uh, one of my favorites was All of a Kind Family. Yes. Um, because I just remember always wanting like a big family and being, and when I was a kid, I was like, when I grow up, I'm going to have 10 children. Oh, <laughs> and that, that number got smaller and smaller <laughs> as I got older and oh older. God. And and now we took off the one and there's no kids. So. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Yeah, I like all of a kind family. Like the, the five sisters. And they were all like two years apart. And weren't they Jewish? Yes, they were. Okay, thank God I got one thing right. <laughs> 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 yes, they were. And they were like in New York City. Yes. It's like a New York, like a big city version of like the Betsy Tacy books. Ooh. Um, Betsy Tacy. Betsy Tacy and Tib. Betsy Tacy go over the big hill. Yes. And <gasps> downtown. Yes. Apparently only Shannon and Stacy know these books. Yeah. Because <laughs> I did Sarah not. Were, if Sarah was here, she, she would, would know them too. too. Oh my gosh. gosh. They're by Maud Hart's Lovelace. Oh, they're so lovely. And they were written like right kind of at the turn of the 20th century. And they're just cool and charming and fun. So when I was a kid, I think I've, I've always gotten like books on tape or something from the library from when I was very, very young. My mom got me signed up for that. So I've, I've kind yeah, of I was had like reading four. in my life. Yeah, I've I've kind of had reading in my life all along, but one of my favorite, I kind of have two series that really kind of got me into reading, and Junie B. Jones and Little House on the Prairie were two of my absolute favorite series, and I remember um, sitting uh, in my room, and I had a braille version of one of the little house. I think it was little house in the big woods is the braille version that I had. And it was one of those paperback kind of like magazine things you get from the library. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. It was a paperback book that I could keep. Yeah. And I, I could keep those and I was just, it it was so awesome. I, I love that series. And I think growing up and spending afternoons after school with my grandmother um, you know, and she loved that series and introduced me to, to that series. And she used to read to me all the time from the big book of virtue and that thing, like stuff like that. And it was just, I, I think that's where my love of reading really started, although I didn't really, you know, dissect my books the way I do now. Yeah. Something called the big birth, big book of virtue. Virtue. Makes me yeah, it's, like it's all these little. <laughs> no, it's like, like proverbs. It's, it's, no, 
it's like these oh. little folk tales and like old wives oh. tales and different things like that that kind of teach kids a lesson. Oh, okay. And stuff like that. Like- and it's called the Big Book of Virtues. And it, I don't, I don't know if they have it. Like, I don't know if it's still printed or not. Because this was these these books were like old when I was little. Because my grandmother had had them, but it it was just. I don't, I'll have to see if I can find some of the stories that were in them and share with you, with, with you ladies. Cause they were really awesome. That's awesome. My, we were five, my sister and I, when my mom, she read to us every night before bed, every single night. And we went through the entire Laura Ingalls series together. Oh. So and we talked about that. I think we did a books of our youth episode a long time ago. Shannon yes, and I. Yes, we'll have to do and, another one. Oh, and I know. Yeah. And we talked about like reading that book the whole series out loud but yes wow so do you have a I know you said light a single candle wasn't really your so my um most transformative book of my you know of that time for me I was not a young child I was 12 and um that's when I was introduced to the Phantom of the Opera by Gaston LaRue um Yes. And that book has had, and there's so many things wrong with that book. Okay. Like I don't condone kidnapping. All right. Like I just, I have to like say that right now, but like, okay. So I was 12 and we, my Sarah and I, of course were twins and, um, you were, well, we were twins, but I mean, (laughs) okay. I was going to say, did you like become like, no, but we were in, (laughs) no, we were in, um, a, our seventh grade year, we were in the same reading class or English, whatever it was called in language arts. And we read to, uh, together a version of the Phantom of the Opera in like the uh, read oh, magazine yeah, that they have like you read. Those, and yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, it kind of spurred us into, um, you know, finding the, the music from the library and everything. Well, then I was way too cool for school. And I'm like, this is weird. Like I got to stop acting like this is cool. But Sarah was, she told me I could not talk about this tonight if I did not, if I did not say that she read the book first and um, I mocked her. So now I have said it. I used to mock her for liking (laughs) Phantom. Oh dear. Yes. So now it is funny. Yes. And she told me I was not allowed to speak of Phantom unless I made sure to make myself look bad. (laughs) I would stay home from school sick. Okay. In seventh grade, I pretend to be sick so I could stay home and steal the tape version of Gaston LaRue's Phantom from her bedroom where she hid it in her closet under her <laughs> nightgowns. This and is I would a life. <laughs> yes, and I would read it during the day, chapter 12 and chapter 26, the two chapters. And I, the, the most important yeah. part was always rewinding it back to where she left yes. it and then putting it under the stack of things. So she wouldn't know that I was mocking her like in public, but like reading it in private when I was pretending to be sick so I could stay home and read it. This is the most well, delightful story right. I've ever heard. So, right. great. so anyway, I finally was like, well, screw this. I love the Phantom too. And I can't like keep it to myself. And basically aspects of that book have shaped, um, most of my life, like from that point on, um, you know, I, I don't want to be kidnapped and taken down into like a basement by no. like a man who murders people. Um, I mean, I kind of did when I was 12 cause I didn't know any better, but like now I would not, but what, you know, it kind of shaped like for me, like I, I really had this, you know, soul deep empathy with this phantom who, you know, 
just wanted to be loved for himself. And as a young, blind, almost teenager, I felt that like soul deep, like, yes, I want that too. I want to be seen. I want people to see me for who I am and not care about this thing that's wrong with me that I can't, well, not that's wrong with me, but this, you know, supposed flaw that I have. And, you know, it's like, it's shaped the type of um, sort of anti-hero I like to read about. The more scarred, the uglier hero, the better for me. It's shaped um, my musical preferences for 30 years. We're coming up on 30 years in, um, at the end of August that this has been part of my life. And it's also shaped the type of book that I'm writing. And so, you know, to talk about a book that is meaningful, I, I couldn't like do this episode without, you know, kind of rhapsodizing over this very screwed up book that is very weird to read and has a lot going on, but at its core is about this man who just wants to be seen in love for who he is. And that's, that's like my addiction. So I had to talk I really about it. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to say, so the most meaningful book that I read as a child wasn't necessarily meaningful because of the book, but it was meaningful because of the consequences of reading that book. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, so the book is Amy's Eyes by Richard Kennedy. And, um, and it was a, a book, a book? Of, no. Oh, no, okay. it's about a girl that lives in an orphanage and she gets a doll that I think has like one eye. And I think that he's like a pirate. Like he comes to life and he's a pirate <laughs> and he takes her on the pirate ship and she ends up turning in, and she turns into a doll or whatever. And they yes. have like grand, well, they have grand adventures and I would, and as a kid, I thought that was great. And then I obviously saw child's play and was like, Oh God, no, um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, but, but when I was reading the book, I was reading it in Braille and I just want you to imagine this. I was in the third grade and, you know, grew up in a fairly like religious home and, you know, my mom was in the military. So it was always like, you know, yes, ma'am, no ma'am, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so I read Amy's eyes and there's a part in the book where the captain blurts out damn. And oh. I was so astonished. Like, Whoa. And so I just, you know, my vision teacher, I just told my vision teacher everything. Right. So I'm just like, right. And then he says, damn, can you believe that? Miss, Mrs. Loya, do you believe that happened? He said, damn. And, and then they took the book away from me and I didn't get to finish. So oh, no. after, yeah. And it was like, and then they wouldn't let me read it again because they were like well obviously it's a book for older you know older kids and I was like no it's not I can read I don't it just think fine. it is and did you ever get to and, finish it no and I <laughs> I never did and the thing is that I stopped talking to people about books I would read them and I wouldn't discuss oh, them with no. anyone because because I was yeah. afraid that if I you know if if there was anything that someone else would find inappropriate that they would take the book away Oh. Yeah, I could see why you would think that. So as an adult now, you've never gone adult, back. I've to never Amy's I've eyes. gone back. And I've kind of wanted to. <laughs> I've thought about, you know, trying to read Amy's eyes again. Um but, you know, like I just haven't been I I just don't know. But it now, thank God, I will definitely talk about a book all day long. Yes. Can I tell you about the book I stole? <laughs> I used to steal books too. <laughs> 
I mean, oh god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got scandalized. What? I am too. <laughs> oh my god! We I stole books too. I, oh, yes. I, I used to hide them in the shed in the back, and and I stole a bunch of them. So you can just like tell it was like you had your book. own little bookstore. Actually, I stole I stole a couple books too. But I gotta hear Shannon. What did you steal? Go ahead, Shannon. When? <laughs> Please don't arrest us, listeners. No, it's a long time ago. <laughs> we were only children. So one of my teachers used to read out loud like a couple days a week as like at the end of like the school day. And so one of the things that he read to us was Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing yes. by Judy Blue. Yes. So I was I like really book. into teacher the book. Yes. And I was probably, I don't know, like nine or 10. And I was just like really into this. And I was super frustrated that I could only read like these little bits, you know, at the end of the day. And I knew that if I read it myself, like I could just like finish it and see what happened. And then I could move on to like super fudge and you know yes. the rest. But I decided that the cover of the copy of Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing that we had looked a lot like the cover of our <laughs> math book. So I decided that I was just going to oh take God. it off the shelf one day and put it in my backpack. I mean... And take it home with me. Yeah. Because it would feel the same as the math book, right? Right. And so I'm thinking, thinking it would look different Right. So those looking through your backpack, yes? Right, except no one did at that point. Like, my teachers okay. didn't or anything. So I took it. I just took it off the shelf. And it's important to know that the teacher who, who read this to us was blind, and so he did not know that I took it off the shelf, which I realized is, like, very terrible. Um, however, <laughs> so <laughs> I took it home. Minor details. Yes. And for days, people talked about how like they didn't know where this book was like it had been on the shelf and it wasn't anymore and no one knew where it was <laughs> so is this like was... midnight confessions like sort of <laughs> 30 years <laughs> book bistro midnight confessions edition <laughs> so i i hurried up and i read it and then, so I guess I didn't really steal it because eventually I did put it back. Oh, well, so you got one up on me. I just borrowed without asking. Yeah. They came to my house and got the books back. So. Oh, no. <laughs> they came to your house. <laughs> so explain. Okay, I got to know. So did you oh, like so, to? Well, go ahead, Shannon. Tell them, did, tell them what you did. Was there a ramification book. like to this or did you sneak it back and no one ever knew? That's so the I first question. I put it back. I put it back. And then my teacher said, like, oh, you know, I see, like, Tales of the Fourth Grade Nothing. It, it has mysteriously reappeared. <laughs> and so then I said, oh, I said, well, I, I felt really stupid when I did this, and I, I didn't want to tell you. So when I realized it, like, I just, I brought it back. I said, but I was in a hurry, and I thought it was my math book, so I grabbed it, and I... <laughs> <laughs> wow! Oh Do they believe you? Well, they didn't really say anything. There's just like this long pause, and I, I said, "Well, are are you mad at me?" 
And he said, in this like very serious voice, just like, well, I'm not exactly thrilled. Like if you just made a mistake, you know, you, you should have like said that you did that. And I was thinking to myself like, oh, but since I didn't really make a mistake, <laughs> it's probably better that I didn't say that I did that. Silence so is the better part of valor. It was accidentally yes. on purpose. Yes. So Mika, how many books did you steal and why? I got to know this. And why would have to come to your house to get them back? Yeah, how do they know? <laughs> I love how this episode has morphed. It is amazing. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, they had a bookshelf. They had bookshelves in the office. And, and I, I have to say that younger Mika did not think about how other people may have felt about her stealing the book. Well, I didn't think <laughs> about it either. Like, I, I think didn't. I was the only Braille reader there. So other people were reading like large print. And oh, okay. I took, at least you stole like a little bit. Okay. I came in, like I was cleaning out a bank and okay. <laughs> it's just over. I would take a volume home and keep it, take a volume home, keep it, take another volume home and keep it. Oh until my God. The, until like they were all in their back shed and I stole some trivia books, some, oh some like the best the best 20 games to play with people when you're camping um i oh, stole wow. the abridged copy of jane Eyre. as oh one God. does and i stole like a bunch of, like, it was a bunch and at the end of the year the school shelves were like just bare and the, and the teacher was like um we're, we know you have these books you must have accidentally taken them i was like yeah i just didn't i'm sorry i just didn't bring the back but i'm sure we all they all knew i was a little klepto um and so they came to take the book and so I went through all of the books and the ones that I felt like I could live without I put on the kitchen table the ones that I didn't I took in the guest room and hid underneath the bed so oh my god so then they someone came yeah yeah it was my vision teacher he came over and he took the books only like, did anyone ever table? find yeah um, like, did he know about the ones under the bed no he was like i thought there are you sure there's not more than this yes i'm, I'm sure, sure. <laughs> all right so <sighs> apparently some books were so meaningful that we had to um gain them but moby weekly. dick moby dick went back I stole The Phantom of the Opera and Phantom by Susan Kay from the National Library Service and never returned them because I couldn't read them any other way. I admit this. Kristen, have you stolen a book, Kristen? (laughs) I I can't say that I have. She's so wholesome. (laughs) I love it. Kristen never stole. It never crossed my mind. (laughs) Okay. We're so better people now. now. Yeah, we are. We are. We don't steal library books anymore. Well, we don't only because like, we have other <laughs> options. Only because we can buy them I now know, ourselves, right? right? We don't like trick, you know, blind teachers. <laughs> any, any I just, anymore. I, I oh, had God, like my It was good for me because for like until sixth grade, I was in public school, and I was, I, so I was like, I was the only person there that read braille and so oh. library books I was able to keep as long as I wanted to I mean I <laughs> had to return them but I was able to keep them as long as I wanted to because I was the only person who read them 
But other than that, I never like stole them where people didn't know I still had them. (laughs) No. Okay. This is meaningful in a whole different way. Yeah. I'm so glad. (laughs) We have this little chat. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about like books that we didn't steal now, but that. And I guess now that I, if I think back about it, I just have to say that I don't know that Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing is a particular meaningful book, like, looking back. <laughs> I just really liked it at the time. I know! It was, it was a good book. It was, that whole series was great. Yes. So, moving forward into, like, our more sort of adult, mature, <laughs> law-abiding um, selves, <laughs> I... I would say that the first, like, adult book, the first sort of, like, grown-up book that I fell in love with was Gone with the Wind. And that's another book that I know is, like, super problematic, like, you know, in today's, it it was. And I, I feel not necessarily great for how much I love it. And yet, it's something that I, I can't quite, like, like put aside. Um, so that was kind of my first, like, big book commitment. You know, it's, like, huge. Um, and for a while, all through high school and college, I reread it every few years. I haven't reread it now in quite a while, but sometimes I think, like, I need to. So, you know, I, I read Gone with the Wind, and then I read Colleen McCullough's The Thornbirds, and that kind of got me into, like, the whole idea of, like, historical fiction and historical romance. And then, of course, I read, like, actual, you know, straight-up romances, and from that time on, like, I was pretty much done with, like, kids' books. Until now, like, as an adult, I read a ton of, like, YA, but... When I was, you know, 12, 13, I, I started reading all kinds of romance and historical fiction. And it was just a great, I don't know, like a great time in my life to just read all these like romances and, and great things like that. And not that Gone with the Wind is technically a romance, like, but it had that sort of sweeping, like romantic feel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it sure. was really it was so easy for me to like move from there into, you know, like Jude Devereaux and Joanna Lindsay. Jude Devereaux. Yes. I love Joanna. So I guess like rather than focusing on kind of like the ages that we were like when we read certain things, like are there books for each of you that sort of like Stacey, you talked about like Phantom of the Opera and how it, influenced your your love of like certain types of heroes um but like do do the rest of you have kind of books that sort of showed you like wow this is really what I love um I do Mika sorry (laughs) (laughs) yes um uh so you know um I grew up like in the Bible Belt, <laughs> as my accent just oh, came yes, out. Girlfriend. As I said, yes, the Bible, Bible Belt. Belt. <laughs> it really did. Bible Belt. <laughs> Me too, girlfriend. And so, all of the books <laughs> that I really enjoyed were like 
like considered like demon spawn, <laughs> which oh, has led me into like the things that I like today. So, you know, um, I always tell people that Joanna Lindsay's Once a Princess was the first book that got me into oh. like romance as it was like the sweeping oh. adventure. Yes. Um, yes. I the, love that book. I read that one. The Flowers mm. in the Attic series as Oh my God. And effed up as it is. Got oh my me God. into like books that have tons of angst, um, yes. and that and those books have tons of angst. Um, and then like her other ones, like the Heaven series and the Dawn I, I, series. After after Flowers in the Attic series, I was done. <laughs> like I went more. through a like a DC <laughs> Andrews phase when I was in high school, and I read the the Dawn books, the Heaven books, and then her standalone, which is my uh, my sweet Adrina. So yes, VC Andrews. <laughs> um, and, and, and let me know that I like the dark stuff, but that I yes. want there to be, like, I needed better for everybody, like, involved. Um, uh, yes. And then, and then um, David Eddings was the first fantasy author that, I, that I'd ever read um, with the Belgariad series. And that was the series that let me know that I loved, again, this whole sweeping adventure and the fantasy and you know the the finding <clears throat> going on a grand adventure and all of that you know all of that good stuff and Anne McCaffrey showed me that I liked I liked oh, dragons and there's another really formative author but I know that Kristen's going to mention her so I don't want to take that away from Kristen um, uh, yes. but but, but um, that author as well and it just has kind of you know, I've tried like different things. I I read. I know you won't believe this, but I read horror for a while, um, enough to let me know that I don't want to read horror. I love um, horror, <laughs> but but you know, but all of those all of those things, especially the David Eddings books, like it really showed me that I wanted I wanted more. You know, like things that were kind of out of this world and. Um, and it was really important to me, especially because I was growing up like really kind of in a very fundamentalist kind of way. And so I needed, I needed a real escape and those are what those books provided. And now, and now for me, that means I love romance. I love fantasy. I love the blending of fantasy and science fiction and romance and yes. all that stuff together. Oh yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I demand a happy ending demand so <laughs> that's where I'm i at. have to say to you that i'm Amen. deeply deeply offended that you would read horror but when i tried to get you to read that marvelous book about the no Grino, no you, you would not <laughs> do it about the what it about, did not matter what i said you would not mm-hmm. read the Drino book. about her female serial killer and yes teaming up to like oh yeah tormented and no shannon and i still no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was the chelsea kane um heartsick series like archie sheridan archie i don't know somebody i can't remember his name archie and gretchen was the woman and i, I really really wanted mika to read these and she refused it flat was out, so flat like, out deeply damaging to my psyche. <laughs> and somehow <laughs> you, I'm, you're still okay. <laughs> I, I, just, I don't know that I am. Like I think of how much better my life would be if you had read at least no. know, one of those books and saw just what would happen if someone drank Drano. No, I'm good. I'm good. No. no. Sigh, that's, that's, sigh, that's, sigh. That's, I, don't, I don't think I want to 
Stephen attempt these Thank either. Thank you, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's funny that you talk about things like that because, I, okay, I guess, I mean, I've always had reading in my life, like I said before, but I don't think I really started loving books until I was in high school. Um, and our, I went to the, to the blind school and we went through, we cycled through several different English teachers just in my first year and a half of high school. I don't know why we couldn't keep a teacher, but, uh, we finally got this wonderful lady that I, I have to say, she is the reason that I read and love reading now because she, we had to read Night by Elie Vassell for, um, oh. for one of our recommended readings. And that's a hard, hard book. It, it is a very hard book, but she, we didn't have to read it like all the way through. We just read bits and pieces of it. And then for our senior trip, um, we went to Washington DC and we went to the Holocaust Museum and she really brought um, books to life for me. She, just the way she taught and the way she let us have open discussions about books just brought books to life for me. And it was also, I think my junior or senior year that I got really into James Patterson. And the first book I ever read by him was Pop Goes the Weasel. Oh my God. And that, that <laughs> book made, gave me nightmares. Yes. It gave me nightmares for months. But for from then on, I I was like on this James Patterson kick. I read like the first eight books of the Murder uh, Women's Club series, and I read London Bridges. Now, see, and then you won't the, read my Drano book. But because now I can't stand that kind of book, and I don't know what <sighs> happened. I just it's like I've gone through phases in my life because I went through things like that into reading, reading like Western romances. And that's what I read for years. And then I think when I, when I started talking to you ladies is when I really got into the fantasy world and now I can't imagine reading anything else. And so it's like when I, when I hit a genre that hits my niche, I just, I stick with it forever. Um, I, I revisit Western romances every so often, but my my main thing is that whole fantasy science fiction romance blend. It, that's just my thing. And I've been on that for quite a while now. So I, I but I have to say that, you know, like I said, in my high school is when I really learned to love and dissect my books and, and see the meaning behind, behind certain things. Um, and I've actually reread night several times and it never gets easier to read but it's just that book that that's what started it all and so I I go back to it every once in a while it's a very very hard book and there's that's actually part of a trilogy it's not the only no there are two more but I yeah I haven't read the others but that's I haven't either Daisy do you have a sort of genre defining book so, <clears throat> mine is more, it's not necessarily a genre finding. It's a book that really um, kind of changed the trajectory of what I read. Um, I was already kind of reading 
paranormal romance. I'd already read like, you know, several Sherilyn Kenyon and I really liked her and everything. And I, you know, I was sort of like, Oh, I kind of like the whole vampire idea. And I, this is about, about 12 years ago. Um, I was reading through the Sherilyn Kenyon Dark Hunter series, which um, I really enjoyed at the time. But um, one of the the books in that series was um, a group of novellas that had been put together, and it was by several different authors. So I was going to read it for the Sherilyn Kenyon aspect. And then one of the other novellas in it was by J.R. Ward. So I read this story of Sun. Yeah, I read this years ago. It was in the Dead After Dark anthology. And I was like, yeah, this is nice and everything. So I was like, well, you know, I've read everything I can by Sherilyn Kenyon for now. So I'll go look up this J.R. Ward person. <laughs> and I did. And I saw that her <laughs> very first book in this Black Dagger Brotherhood series was, um, it was called Dark Lover. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> I like that name. Well, then I look at it and I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit, the main character's blind. God damn it. Like. She's going to ruin it like every other author did. And I'm sorry I cursed on the podcast, but I really oh, did. That was, okay. my, that was my exact, like, response. Like, God damn it. Like, she wrote this thing, and now I'm not going to want to read it, you know, because she's going to mess it up. Well, I decided to read it anyway. Surprise. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> well, I'm going to read about this dude. And I'm like, his name is Wrath? Like, Wrath? Wrath? Like, what, a vicious fury? <laughs> like, Zadist? Like, what the hell? So I, I pick up this book, and I, I, I read it with some trepidation, but, um, and I'm not going to describe the Black Dagger Brotherhood series to you, because that's a whole separate episode. It could be an episode of its own. But what I will say is Dark Lover yes, um, features um, the sort of <laughs> the king of this vampire race named Wrath, and the thing that I was so amazed by is, yeah, he's blind, and yeah, he has some superhero-type you know, skills because it's a paranormal romance and he's a vampire. But (laughs) what I loved is that his blindness was just one aspect of who this guy is. And he was not respected because he's blind. He's respected because he's a leader. He's a badass. He is a fighter. He's, you know, he's a strong person. And And he's allowed to be the king. And he's allowed to be the king. They don't say, well, he would have been the king, but we had to dethrone him because he can't see. And, you know, I, I loved that. And so, and, and the way this book was written really sort of like helped me realize I, I want to do this one day. Like it was so tightly plotted. So not only did it help me like connect with this character emotionally because I could relate to the fact that he couldn't see, but the way that J.R. Ward wrote this book and the way it was so tightly plotted and the way it just flowed from person to person in the world building, it just really kind of got me all so- like beautifully done yeah and it It, made me want to write but then you know i'm just gonna follow the story arc for wrath he um again is uh sort of featured in lover avenged um he's one of the the subplots of that and also then he is the main protagonist in the king which is book 13 and throughout this whole story arc it's all about 12 i'm sorry 12 12? yeah 12, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, because the last, shadows is 13. Yeah, well, Lover at Last is Lover at Last is number 11. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. So, but, but what I love about this arc is that it's all about him trying to accept who he is as a blind person and a leader um, and how to still do the things that make him feel like a leader when he can no longer see at all. And 
you know, there's aspects of it that are kind of superhero-ish, but you know, when it comes right down to the emotion of it and him just admitting, yeah, I'm your leader and I can't see, and I'm going to like, let you know that. Cause he hid that for the majority of, you right. know, it, it just, yeah. it was very meaningful to me. And, um, it, it just, you know, I'll read anything she writes full well, a, cause she's a, she's an amazing author, but because she treated this vision loss with so much sensitivity and didn't try to cure him, didn't try to make it better. I mean, he had to go through the stages of like adjustment that anyone else would. And I just really appreciated her for that. So yeah, yeah. I kind of went on a yeah, diatribe. I'm sorry, but she's pretty great. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because her writing like in a technical sense, like does not always appeal to me. Like the kind of like made up words that she uses Slangy. and kind of like the slang. Yeah. Like I, oh, I that, find myself. That's what I love. I oh, love see, that. I find I'm. Cause I'm that kind of person myself. I make up my own words. A lot of. I make up of, words a lot, but I, I don't, <laughs> I can't imagine that I would write them down. Like write that. Stacey's in description oh, actually would. like made me, made me tear up a little bit. Really? Like, because, yeah. Cause you could just tell like just how, how much, like I know how much you love these books and how much oh, like do. they mean to I'm you like, not just because of plot, they make me cry but and her like, writing is just so compelling like despite the things mm-hmm. that kind of bug yeah. me about it like I hate when people say conversate like people in real life say conversate and it drives me well, it's not a word insane right but people say it right and then I see somebody write it and I'm like oh and yeah. yet like I cannot stop reading them like even when I'm like sort of annoyed by some of the like idiosyncrasies in her writing her storytelling can always kind of reel me in and I just you know I I can be kind of annoyed and think like oh you know why does it have these words aren't words but it doesn't detract from the books yeah So I wanted to do kind of a quick like last round about sort of books with a like a heavy hitting um, emotional punch. And for me, um, and I think this sort of like dovetails very nicely off of what Stacy's going to talk about. So I'm going to mess with the order and ask Stacy to talk about um, her book after I do mine because they they just fit so nicely together. Um, so for me, it was Wasted by Maria Hornbacher. And what a lot of people don't know and what I don't necessarily talk about a lot is that from the time I was 13 until I was in my mid-30s, I struggled horribly with anorexia. And I don't want to get into a big like eating disorder thing here. But I did, and I still do to some degree, but it's better now than it was. But I never read anything that was sort of from the point of view of a person with anorexia. Like, I just never did. Um, I read books about, like, people who, like, their, their teenage daughter was anorexic, or, you know, I read a bunch of stuff about Karen Carpenter. I never really read anything like in, in that voice, like from the point of view of someone who had so many of the distorted, like body image beliefs that I had and sometimes still do have. So when I read Wasted, which is a memoir about a woman who has also um, been dealing with anorexia for most of her life, it 
was empowering in a way to know that, you know, someone else had written a book like this, kind of like what I said about the Jean Little book, but in a way that is a little bit more intense than that. Um, but also just to sort of understand like some of the deeper like issues that go into having a disordered relationship with food and to know that like, okay, this isn't great. Like, and this is something that I always have to work on, but it doesn't make me like a terrible, horrible person. Um, you know, it means that I have vulnerabilities and I struggle with a lot of things, but it, it doesn't make me like a bad person. And when you grow up in a family like mine, where food is so, so central to like everything you do. Um, and my family, you know, it's very much about food. You're always going to eat, like someone's going to come over and you're always going to go out to lunch. And you're always going to talk about like what you ate today and what you will eat tomorrow. And, you know, is there like a new restaurant that you want to go to? And so it's really hard to be somebody who sometimes doesn't like food. Um, and so I really appreciated seeing some of that in, in Wasted. Um, it's a very, very raw and difficult book, but it's one that I'm really glad that I read. I would say that I need to read this. Um, and I have, um, in a different way, I have struggled with body image um, since I was in my early 20s. And I think part of it is being blind and not being able to look into the mirror and see basically how I look in comparison to other people. Um, but also, you know, like, do I look really fat or do I look okay? Unintentionally, you know, my, my very, very beautiful family would unintentionally kind of heighten this. They would say, oh, Stacy, we have those pictures of you in California when you were 16 and you were just so beautiful and, and tiny with your long blonde hair. And I was like 95 pounds. I'm 4'10 and a half. Okay. I am not a tall person. And when I was 16, I was like 95 pounds and I had naturally blonde hair. And I was tiny and I could eat whatever the hell I wanted. And I was like a size two. And, you know, I had like, but I was 16. And, you know, no matter what I do at this point in my life, I am not going to be that girl in those pictures when I was 16. But part of me wants to, you know, part of me like still wants to be tiny and blonde and, you know, the world by the tail. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, that is very, and so I really struggled my whole life, uh, adult life with, you know, just feelings of, uh, inferiority and ad inadequacy and always worrying about what I was putting in my mouth and like, you know, um, just many things that I created myself. No one, no one ever made me feel that way. Um, and then Two years ago, I read in, in 2018, I read Good Luck With That by Kristen Higgins. And it's about three young women who met at a camp for teenagers um, who needed support with weight loss. Um, in the book, they called it a fat camp. But, you know, I, I don't like that. Um, but these women were all there because they, they were wanting to lose weight. And they met, they formed this bond, they wrote this list about all the things they would do when they were thin. And oh my God, did I relate to that? 
like, hell yeah. Like I want to be thin. I want, you know, I always be like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this once I'm back in a size, whatever. And like, you know, and, and, and so I, I related. And then, um, as adults, um, these three women sort of go in and out of touch with each other. And one of them actually, um, you know, that's in the very beginning, but she, she dies from complications Mm -hmm. of, you know, extreme obesity. And, um, her friends are left behind and her last like request of them is that they don't wait and they go and they do the things on this list. They don't wait to be thin. They do the things that they never did when they were young because they didn't like their bodies. And this book meant so much to me. I read it um, a couple times a year. Um, you know, I really relate to um, Georgia who was married um, at one point and didn't want her husband to well, touch her, her body. Oh, I know. And didn't want to touch her body or see her body or admire her body. Didn't want him to watch her eating. And so there's things about this book that I really relate to. And, you know, I call it like, um, I know that there were some readers who were very offended um, by this book, but for me, it was like, finally, someone was speaking up and talking about the painful things in a woman's life that she doesn't want to talk about. And it really resonated with me. And it wasn't just like, oh, this girl's a size eight. She's really big. You know, I mean, it was about women who were plus sized and women who ended up, you know, hospitalized. And, you know, one of the women was able to lose a significant amount of weight and could shop at, you know, a store and wear like single digit sizes. So it's not about like what you weigh or what size you are, but it's, to me, it was about how you feel about your body. And I just, this book really means a lot to me. And anytime I'm feeling bad about myself, like right now in the middle of this pandemic, I've reverted to some stress eating behavior and things like that. And I'm sorry, I'm starting to feel a little down on myself again. So I think I need to pull that book out and read it again because it is so impactful for me as a woman who struggled with body image her whole life. So loved it so much. It is such a, a deep, deep, story even as someone who comes you know to it from sort of the opposite side opposite, of, of yeah. body image right I just I loved the things that she had to say about people's bodies and how the world views our bodies and how we view our bodies because of society mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to pick this one up it's oh god you know I amazing book. So Kristen, do you have an emotionally impactful book? Um, I think so. Um, I, I kind of have two of them, but I think the, the more emotionally impactful one was one that I read very, very recently. Um, open book by Jessica Simpson. And oh yeah, I remember people, when you read that. Yes, it was so amazing. And most people know her from her early career and her reality TV. And she came across as this very ditzy, stupid person. (laughs) And she did. And she admits it. But she is so not that way. Um, You know, she, she was very young when she got married. She was very young when she uh, got into um you know show business she she started out auditioning for for um mickey mouse clubhouse um or the it was i don't think it was called that at the time um but she you know she tells all about 
getting into her stardom, I guess. And what she was not a very skinny girl in, in, in her childhood. Um, people picked on her for that. She joined a cheerleading squad to make herself feel better, but the cheerleaders all picked on her and because she was heavier than the rest of them. So she's never, she was never like this skinny, tiny, single digit sized person. And she struggled with that as she got further and further into her career because, you know, Hollywood wants you to look a certain way. Um, and she says she just remembers thinking, why can't people accept me for me? Why do I have to work out and, and be something I'm not? You know, it, it, that people made her uncomfortable with her body. And then she talks about um, how she dealt with um, like attachment issues, um, alcoholism, um, you know, things in and out of her family. And it's just, she gets down to the nitty gritty of things in her life, all the way from teenage years to her adult life, her, her now life. And since she read the book audio, um, the audio version is read by her. She gets really emotional reading certain parts of this book. And I think that made me connect so much more with what she had to say, because this, these are her feelings, her emotions. It wasn't someone who had to read what she had to say and find the right inflection to put there. It was natural. And I see her in such a different light now than I used to and see her as this very smart person who has found herself and found the right place in life, loves her family, loves her children, and just has done a complete 360. And she doesn't say, you know, I've got it all figured out and I'm so much better now that I don't have to worry about things. It's still a struggle for her in certain areas, but with the support system that she has and the way she's come to know herself, she knows she can get through it. And so that was a very, I, I ugly cried several times throughout that book. And what book is this, Kristen? I'm sorry. It's called Open Book and by Jessica Simpson. And it's just, it's beautifully done. And I, I love the fact that she reads it because it just brings a whole new connection. That's how I felt I just, about Jennifer Weiner's memoir, Hungry Heart. It was the same. She read it, so... I just put that on hold at the library. It's amazing. I have Sorry, never Mika, read it. I talked over you. I didn't mean to. Oh, no, it's okay. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say to Kristen's book, you know, it really shows us sometimes, like, the pressure that, um, that celebrities are under, you know? Um, yes. And, and how we only see what the media wants us to see in the slant that they want us to see it in right the, and sometimes people self-destruct like on their own but we don't always take into account mm -hmm. that they are younger and don't and maybe don't have the you know like we're older grounded grounded people <laughs> and so sometimes I feel like we I hope. find everybody else <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, we did. And she talks about that. Like, books and <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
<laughs> she she talks about that like she knew she was on a destructive path, but she just couldn't stop. And mm-hmm. her friends pretty much did an intervention and brought her around. And you know she talks about the fact that she because she had that supportive group of girlfriends that she you know that's what made her started start looking at herself differently and trying to be better and I think that it's all it it is about support in a lot of ways because if you don't have anybody behind you you know sometimes it, it it it's horrible it's hard to not pick yourself up and move forward because you don't feel like you have anything to move forward for so Mika yes um well, on the same emotional impact train here, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would have to say that um, a really emotional and very impactful book, and I've told you ladies several times that I don't really read a lot of memoirs, especially because um, I read one and then I found that it wasn't true. Um, oh, I was yes. say, wasn't it you oh, who wow. said, like, all memoir, memoirs are lies? And you just yes, said, yes, all memoirs are lies. They're all lies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, everything is a lie, but, um, (laughs) but I would say that I know why the Paige Bird sings would have to be my memoir. Mm. And they always talked about it, you know, like reading it, like when I was a kid, but I don't think I would have had, I never read it when I was a kid, but I don't think, I don't think that a, I think that the version that they would have had us read was probably very much abridged because probably because I don't think you could read that as a kid had a lot of things in it. And so, um, that's by Maya Angelou and I, or Angelou, excuse me. Um, (laughs) I resonated so much with that book because, um, I have had really horrible things happen that I could not talk about and she had really horrible things happen that she couldn't talk about. And in fact, which left her selectively mute for quite a long time um, when she was a child. And, and then, like, just to kind of see, you know, her as being, you know, being a black woman um, growing up in, you know, in, uh, I think first, uh, first, like, Arkansas and then, like, Missouri, I think. But... Um, or I could just be lying about all these, all these things, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Chicago and, you know, Wisconsin, there's Wisconsin in there. Oregon. But, yeah. Oregon. Oregon. Yes. But, you know, she just had like so much that happened and, you know, there was so much like sexual abuse that she dealt with. Um, and mm-hmm. people who never really like saw what her worth was. And, and the book is not just about how she, you know, wrote poetry, but she, she was a single mom at a very young age. And, um, and she ended up, you know, she, she was a stripper. I had no idea Maya Angelou was a stripper. Nobody ever told me that. Wow. No, I didn't know that until I read it. (laughs) I was like, whoa, I never knew. Never knew. And, and, you know, and stripping was like a way for her, A, she was making money, but B, she was also kind of like reclaiming her body as well. And just kind of figuring out like who she was, and um, and then she ended up writing these like amazing anthems, and it really res- yes. these beautiful poems, and it really resonated with me because 
a um so like in like the black community for example like sexual abuse um sexual abuse is very much like you know it's often like the thing that that people don't always go after like they should um Mm -hmm. because it's like you know there's the you know oh well nobody wants to hang out don't be careful not to be around this person that's coming to the family you know thanksgiving or whatever you know uh um and but nobody like but sometimes people don't take the steps that are necessary and so it's very much an underreported kind of thing and Mm -hmm. so to know that she like went through that and then she wrote these like beautiful poems that helped that you know basically cried out like her pain and how she um and how like women are beautiful and like she wrote phenomenal woman and if you just and reading that for me it was just like oh you know (laughs) like okay like I'm not all of these things you know in in the past right like I don't have to be defined by these things like constantly but that you know here here this this black woman is is telling other women that you know that you are still you're still very phenomenal and so and she wrote like so there's poems in her book and she talks a lot about family dynamics and like there's just there's just so much there and it's a very hard book to read but to know that she came from that and just really just walked in this classy, graceful manner throughout like the whole of her life and, you know, has sat, has dined with presidents and, you know, there's probably a king in there somewhere. Um, You know, it's just, it's just this amazing and beautiful thing. So that book definitely had a really huge emotional impact on me. I have a book for you. It's very different from what, like it's it's fiction as opposed to nonfiction, but it touches on so many of these themes that you're talking about. And I loved it so much. It came out last year, like right in the beginning of the year. And it's The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray. I'm ravenously and hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's um, compared to like Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng, but is focused on an African-American family. Um, and it's just a phenomenal read if you ever um, get a chance to pick it up. I think, I think you would enjoy it, even if parts of it, again, you know, would be, would be challenging to read. Um, it's a really, really great book. I'm glad that I read it last year. You talked about it. Thank on the you. Podcast. I'll check that out. I did. Yes. Yes, I did. So this has been a very long episode and has run the gamut of kind of pretty much like all kinds of emotion. Um, So I want to thank everybody um, for hanging out tonight and kind of allowing this episode to unfurl in the way that it would. And I hope listeners um, found some things that they could identify with, hopefully, you know, not book stealing. Not stealing. (laughs) But... 
<laughs> yes, don't steal books, people. It's if, bad. If, if anyone wants, to, I'm from England originally, so you know, if anyone wants to know, it's not like I, I did not grow up in the Bible Belt. I no. these things happened in England in somewhere. England, yes. Possibly, like, and you York, still have a bridge copy of Jane Eyre under your I, bed, right? Like, in every probably. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I live in Yorkshire. Don't come after me, Yorkshire. <laughs> yes, because oh. you sound like it. You yes, you're very, I, you're very I, I'm American England. You know? <laughs> she, she's a she's a Yorkshire transplant. <laughs> Yeah, see, <laughs> she took so like cool. many, many like elocution lessons. I truly so she did. Get rid of the British <laughs> accent. Yes, yes. <laughs> that I got from the abridged copy of Jane Eyre. From Jane, Jane Eyre. <laughs> you need my fair lady for that. Like, <laughs> anyway, so thank you very much to Stacy, Kristen, and Mika for hanging out with me tonight. And thanks to Christine for the momentous amount of editing that she'll have to do, <laughs> that she had to do yes. in order to bring you the episode um, that you just listened to. And thanks to all of you for joining us and, and hearing some of our stories that are, um, you know, not things that we usually share on the Book Beast Girl podcast. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.